Amen. Afternoon, everybody. Congratulations again for uh, singing with no guitar. Uh, you guys got good skills. I'm impressed. I'm impressed with Trevor. All right. Uh, very good. Couple, couple brief announcements here, and we'll get into uh, to James. Did want to recognize V got baptized last week or a week ago, week and a half ago, uh, which was awesome. She's she's shy, but that's why she chose to do it at two o'clock on a Monday. Uh, to limit everyone's attendance, uh, but that was awesome. Uh, congrats also to Shakespeare. Shakespeare, where's Shakespeare? He ran a marathon this morning, didn't he? Or half marathon? Full marathon? Half marathon. Still impressive. Uh, he ran uh, City to Surf this morning. So did Sam, who's been uh, in st- been studying the Bible. Uh, but uh, I think I heard Sam got injured. <laughs> That's what Andrew said. Bad injury? No. Ongoing injury, right? Uh, which, yeah, I don't know. Who wants to run it? Anyone else want to run it next year with Shakespeare? Lamont? No. Right? Kitty? Kitty and Fiona. Someone let Shakespeare know when he comes back. Uh, I tried to convince my kids to do it, and I didn't get any takers. So, uh, oh, well. Amen. Uh, if you're a Bible Talk leader, we got a, just a brief meeting after church today. Uh, we'll just do that right next door, next room over. Uh, next midweek, 4th of September. Uh, that's not this week, but next week. And the little guys, little preteens, you got Devo on Friday. Uh, and then further off, Mother Daughter T. I think I actually have a slide for that. Wow. That's so cute. All right, so it's five per person. Mothers and daughters. Sorry, dads. We'll do a dad-daughter or dad-son thing next year. Amen. Church retreat further off, 1st, 3rd November. Uh, yeah, register for that as well. See Pam for all those things. Pam's, I think we have online as well, so that'll be up. We'll post that up soon. I mean, let's go and flip over to James. Hello, Sam. We're, uh, we're in James chapter 4. I also want to say congrats to Trevor. I heard his goat curry won on, uh, on Friday night. I didn't get any, personally. I was late. Yeah, it, was, it must, well, it must have been good then. Uh, if there was none left by the time I got there. Uh, and then somehow Cameron, and I don't know how Cameron managed to tie I think everyone's safe with saying Almain was second uh, and Cameron third. Uh, I immediately accused you of being store-bought, but apparently, no. I don't know. I know. Well, he lived with us for a long time, several months, and I never had a... Yeah. Never cooked a meal for us, and then all of a sudden he makes amazing mac and cheese. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he is. He's pick, trying to pick up his skills for Lonnie. Uh, I think Lonnie bought me this shirt as well. So, I mean, a little bit different color shirt. I mean, let, let's look here at, uh, at James. Uh, very, very brief section today. Uh, just a few verses, um, but as most of James, as you've discovered by, by now, if you've been with us, very convicting. Uh, so James 4 here, uh, let's pick up there in verse 13. He, he, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. 
All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Very few words, but very challenging. All right, and uh, you know, James says some interesting things, right? He starts with now listen, which is kind of how his entire book starts, right? Uh, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Uh, and now he really wants them to key in and listen. You know, he's been talking to them a lot about, uh, you know, the, the, the tongue there in the beginning of, of, of chapter 3, uh, the root behind the tongue, what comes out of our hearts, uh, often is what determines what we say. And that's the, the middle part or the end part there of, of chapter 3. Chapter 4 you know, talks a lot about uh, what's really in there, those deeper desires, what we live for and how that often is pride. Uh, and he urges us to be humble, and now he, you know, in some sense, urges us to be quiet. Listen, all right? You know, and then he takes their words. You guys say, here's what you say, you know, and he contrasts it. Well, this is what you ought to say. So he's got two, two very, you know, distinct uh, expressions of the mouth that he wants to, to, to examine and parse apart, you know, pick apart. Uh, but, but remember, when James is saying that, hey, you, you say this, but you ought to say this, he understands it's not just words. This is way beyond words. The depths of our heart and our soul, uh, you know, as he's talked a great deal about, you know, the, the, our words are powerful, but really our words reveal a great deal about us. You know, there in chapter 3, verse 12, he poses a question, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine, grapevine bear figs? You know, that, that, that the fruit, that which is tans, tangible uh, and clear, whether it's our words uh, or our behaviors, he said that tells us about the root. That reveals to us about our heart. Uh, you know, and, and here he, he is challenging us to consider uh, two very different perspectives, which again is pride, which we've talked a great deal about. Uh, hopefully none of us at this point, at this stage going through James, think we are without pride. Uh, you know, but, but James really uh, wants us to kill it. Right? Not kill it like do awesome. But kill it as in, like, get rid of pride. That it's a perspective, a way of seeing the world, a way of understanding ourselves. That is polar opposite to God. And, and James's point, as we'll see here in this text, that, that if we can get a greater grasp and, and awe of the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the, the, uh, the unlike us uh, aspect of God, that'll help us to, to, to have a heck of a lot more Humility, amen? So let's look at those two, pride and providence. Too bad it's not pride and prejudice for those who like. My wife loves that. that I guess it's a book and a movie and a TV show. All the above, it's everything. Right. Let's look at the bad news. It's life. This is life. Pride, right? And so let, let, let's look here. As I said, you know, it's not the first time here in James that he's bringing up pride. Uh, he, he, he's been adjusting it a fair bit. Uh, the previous section we looked at there in, in chapter 4, verse 6, it talks about how God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You know, the, that, that taking a, a prideful approach or a prideful perspective on life uh, is going to lead to opposition from our Creator, not because our Creator aims to destroy us, but because He wants to discipline and teach us, uh, you know, and, and help us to have that humble posture uh, through which He can work more effectively. Right? And, and through which even we will find life to the full. You know? And God wants to show us favor, but the reality is we need to, we need to uh, you know, change. Verse 10, humble ourselves before the Lord so that he can lift us up. Uh, you know? and, and, and it's no different here as we get into this section. 
Uh, and, and he takes this phrase, you know, whether, uh, again, James does it. James is a general letter in the New Testament, meaning it's written to just Christians in general, you know, and I, I'm persuaded to, to think that uh, when the first persecution uh, from the, the, the Jewish uh, leaders breaks out against the church there and, and Stephen gets, you know, stoned to death uh, and, and, and they even put, um, well, you know, James the apostle to, to, to death, uh, not this James, obviously, the, the church scatters out of Jerusalem, and, and, and I'm persuaded that James probably wrote this letter to, to those. So he, he's speaking general, so he's probably not quoting them. No one tweeted this in the early church. They didn't write him a letter, or, or no one came and said, hey, here's what a lot of people are saying. James is saying, here's probably what most of mankind says. This is how most of us speak day in and day out. We speak like this. You know, and he said, you know, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this. With that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. And James, you know, James says, look, there's something subtle in here because you read that. You and I don't know, someone even says this. And, and you probably had conversations like this this week with people in this room. Because we, we, we make plans. I mean, this morning I put on my new Bula shirt. That, that's not new. It's been in my closet, but I never worn it. And, and Michelle says, oh, you should wear that uh, when we go to Fiji in December. Oh, no, that's a lot like that. I'm not picking up a show. I thought the same thing, you know, but, but we do this. This is how we speak. And, and James says, look, there's something subtle in here. His perspective, though, there's boasting and arrogant schemes there. And I think all of us should, you know, we, if, you don't, if you didn't feel like, gosh, James, that's a bit harsh, you got to think a little bit more. And even as I was studying this text out, you know, you think the contrast between 16 and 13 is very great. And most of us would not be quick to apply that kind of talk as we see in 13 and come to the conclusions of 16. Because again, it's almost second nature to us. You know? But he's saying, look, there's a, there's a subtle pride. And that tells us the seriousness of, of pride in James's mind. That any hint of it, he's like, hey, call it what it is. Don't sugarcoat it and don't water it down. Don't, don't try to rename it something else. No, call it what it is. Arrogant boasting schemes. And that's not how we should speak. Again, very strong, but very subtle. You know, and what is it that ticks James off? You know, I think it's this. I think it's, you know, every single aspect of that sentence is presumptuous. Every aspect. We're going to go through it here in a second and see that. Every as aspect is presumptuous. And presumptuous being this idea of, of failing to observe the limits. Overstepping the bounds. Assuming we know or assuming, uh, you know, our opinion is really, really important over and above other people. It's a lack of respect uh, horizontally. But James says, look, there's a heck of a lot of it vertically. That we do it with one another and we know when someone does it to us and we're often blind when we do it to someone else. You know, but, but God is very aware of how much we do it to him. Operate with this, this idea of we don't, we, don't, we don't really understand our limits. We don't know the limits of our, of our strength, of our knowledge, of our ability to control and make choices and decisions and plans. We have way too much confidence in ourselves and not enough respect for God or for others. Synonyms to, to presumptuous is that of arrogant and overconfident behavior, being proud or being conceited. And, and look here, you know, today or tomorrow, that's saying, look, we, we think we know and we think we have control over the future. Right? We think we know. We, we talk like that, and we think we know, right? 
He says, look, we say we will go. He says, you think you know and control even what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish in these future plans that, that you're making. You know, he says, you know, we think we're going to go to this city or that city. He's like, we don't, you have no clue over your destinations. We make assumptions. We're presumptuous in terms of our ability to control and dictate. But James says, look, in reality, we, we don't know. We don't have control. You know, even the duration, he thinks, you know, these people think they'll spend a year there. Maybe. Maybe not. Again, you've got to be careful. Uh, even activity of them carrying on business. You know, even their ability to have success. And this is a big one, right? I mean, this is a, 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 a key tenet or, or ethic of, uh, of, of a lot of Western thinking in terms of the idea that, that we become what we are by our own strength and our own ability. And we put a lot of stock in that. And when we look at other people in different maybe parts of society that are not as successful as we think, we, we tend to assign personal blame to them. When the reality is, and most sociologists would say, you know what, you take you, you with all your great abilities and you put them in their scenario with the opportunities they have and you would be no different. Because again, we think we have control. We think we know. We think we can do a lot and produce success. And, and James is pushing back against us. He's saying these presumptions that we make, we, gotta, we, need, to, we, need, to, we need to listen and think a little bit deeper about what they say. You know, and I think it's so subtle, this is presumptuous. You know, I, don't, I didn't know this tool existed uh, before today. And you may think, what the heck is this, right? But, but apparently with Google now, you can scan hundreds of years of books for words. And this graph is showing us the use of the word presumptuous. And it's almost the same outcome if you put in conceit or pride or arrogance. From the 1650s to the 2000, to, till 2008. That's the percentage, of, time, percentage of, of occurrences within writings that have all now been uploaded onto Google. So in the past, people talked a lot about it. This is what it shows us. This is what the graph is showing us. In the past, mankind knew that conceit and arrogance and pride and presumptuous, that this posture, this attitude of the heart was important, and we should write about it, and we should be calling it out, and we should be discussing it. But, but since, you know, 1800s, that's been plummeting. And it's interesting. Because I think that actually is a probably, obviously, not, you know, Google's statistics are, are difficult to, to rail against, you know, but, but, you know, as mankind advances technologically and we get a handle on things, it fuels our pride. And pride, as we've been talking about, does what? It blinds us. We don't see it. Other people see it. It's a necklace. We're not aware of it, but everyone else is obvious too. And so a lot of people write less and less and less about it because we become a, a more prideful people. And so we're all less aware generally of it. And so it's just not, it's not a common thing to talk about. You know, and, and I don't know, there's a slight uptick there at the end, maybe. I don't know. What, Ten years from now, we'll chuck the chart up back up and see how we're doing, you know, but... But, but the, the point is, yes, James is, I think, aware. Of them. Man, it's subtle even back then. Uh, but, but, man, it's serious because it's pervasive. And, and our world that we operate in tends to not even uh, produce a blip on the radar. The last thing James tells us about it in this section is that it's evil. Full stop. 
It's not evil as we talked about earlier, you know, in contrast with ugly. It's evil, like evil one, Satan <laughs> in James 1. Same category. This presumptuous posture, this attitude of, of, of I have knowledge and I have control and foresight and all that. He says, man, that is, that is a satanic type quality. Wow. That's scary. Right? That's scary. And you think, why? Hopefully you think, why? Why? Why, why so strong? You know, and he, he outlines that for us there in the next verse. You know, what's wrong with that perspective? What's so flawed? He says, look, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In one verse, he's just shattering all that presumptuous pride that we have. You know, and, and, he, and he outlines, you know, two, two very brief things. You know, we, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. He's saying that in response to a guy, a business guy, making plans for his business in a different city for the next year. James is saying, you're thinking 365 days in advance? You don't know tomorrow what will happen. We don't know. We think we do. We think we've got it all figured out, but James is like, we don't. You know, and even how we talk about time, right? Uh, and there's a lot of people that think time is cir circular, you know, but, but we, we tend to see time this way, right? You know, 12, 3, 6, 9, and round and around the clock goes. Summer, autumn, winter, and amen, spring coming soon, right? Around and around, day, evening, night. It's, it's cyclical time. That's how we think. And, 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 and because we live in a, in a, in a, in a universe designed by a, a, a mind that understands the benefit of, of order as opposed to chaos, of certainty. Seasons come, seasons go, sun rises, sun sets. The, 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 the stableness that allows us to thrive can also very much lull us into a false sense of security. And James is saying, around and around it goes. And so it's so reliable, you think you can make plans a year out. But he says, but you've got to stop and think for a second. Just because it's cyclical in terms of seasons and, and all these things, that's not how time operates. You know, it's not around and around on a merry-go-round. From God's vantage point, it's beginning and it's end, and he stands outside of time and he sees it all simultaneously. That's how we need to learn to see it. We don't know if our blip on the line ends. That's essentially what James is saying. It's morbid thought. But man, you walk out of here, get hit by a bus. It's over. You know, we were sitting in a cafe the other week with Damien and V, and this lady walked across the street and, and nearly did get run over by a bus. You know, this is scary. Right? V found it scary, right? Damien didn't. <laughs> I found it scary. What do you think? Beginning to end, God sees it that way. It's a line, and we just think it's so consistent, so reliable. And yes, God has designed a universe of order and reliability, but man, we got to understand time is man. It's a line, guys. And we don't, we don't know when our line will end. We need to think that way, and we need to see that way. 
Because that gives us a dose of humility. You know, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And then if that didn't ho- sober us enough, he, he says this, right? He says, we're, we're, we're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We're, we're smoke. Can you ever blow out a candle? It doesn't quite get cold enough in Perth. I guess it does a little bit. Shakespeare, when he went out in the early morning to, to run this morning, you know, the first breath, probably a little bit of vapor, right? <laughs> Gone like that. Gone. Dissipated. It's there. It's visible. It's tangible. And you can't control it. It's fragile. One, one little gust of wind, it's gone. It disappears. Dissipates. No longer visible. No longer being able to see it. James says, hey, you want to know how to see your life from God's perspective? That's what we are. A mist. A puff of smoke. Not stable. Not secure. Rather incredibly fragile. And, 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 and vanishing very quickly. You know, one of the great books of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. You guys read Ecclesiastes? You guys like Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes is the, I don't know how you want to look at it, uh, ramblings of a madman uh, or the ramblings of a very wise man. Uh, I tend to think it's Solomon at the end of his life. Right? And, and what phrase does he say over and over and over? Meaningless, meaningless. Literally in the Hebrew, smoke, smoke. Vapor, vapor. Temporary. Gone. Same concept that James is talking about here. Here for a moment, then, then, then gone. And again, this is Solomon. This is a guy with, with incredible wisdom. You know, in this, this journey in Ecclesiastes that he goes through, he's saying, look, un, under the sun, everything's meaningless. He says even wisdom, pursuing wisdom. You gain wisdom or you're a fool, you know what, in the end, does it matter? No, meaningless. You work and you toil. Meaningless. You, you find love and, 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 and you experience pleasure. Meaningless. Sex. Meaningless. Goes through everything. Success. Everything. Wealth. This is, again, this is a guy who, who had all wisdom and went and kind of experienced everything and found it all wanting. He found it all was not delivering what we think it would. That's why he says over and over and over, meaningless. Meaningless. And James says, meaningless. Again, not meaningless as we tend to think it, but he's saying temporary. <coughs> Vanishing. Not tangible, not lasting. It's not going to deliver what we think it's going to deliver. Success in your career, certain number in your bank account, friends, you know, likes on Instagram, uh, the new car, the, 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 the dress, the, the relationship. Uh, a life without, without hardship or suffering. We, we look at these things and we think they will give us, you know, satisfaction or meaning. And, and James says, you're a mist. Solomon says, those are mists. You can't look to them for that. They cannot and will not ever deliver what we're looking for them to deliver. You know, Solomon, of course, is saying all that under the sun. From mankind's perspective, we need to understand that. There is no eternal and lasting substance to be found in all these things that the world pursues, even in ourselves. But with God, 
if he stands outside of time, then he is not that vapor. He is not that mist. He is not smoke. He is not here one day and gone the next. He is something worth uh, of great enough worth in substance or weight and glory, however you want to look at it, that it is worth putting hope in, worth looking to. But James is saying, look, we, we make these presumptions based on our knowledge and, and what we think we can control. And he says, man, that, that is so foolish. It's so nearsighted. And, and it's going to disappoint. You know, we need to understand even what Solomon figures out at the end there, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. He understands that under the sun, and we're not going to find it, but, but with God we will. Right? And that's why he says, look, pride of this presumptuous position is so evil because we don't really know, and obviously we can't control because we don't last. Positively, though, you guys with me still? Yeah. Right? So we ought not to speak like that. Right? He says, instead, we ought to speak like this. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's God's will. And again, he's not giving us a, a catchphrase that you're meant to stick in front of every sentence, Okay. Okay, and then, you know, that could that be exhausting. And nowhere in any of the Christian writings does anyone ever do that. But for James, it's not just words, right? It's posture of the heart. And we got to have this belief that's so deeply driven into our heart and our mind that, that, that it is as if every sentence has a little asterisk at the end of it, a little precursor. That I really actually believe that whatever is about to come out of my mouth, that that only happens if it's the Lord's will. That, that He is sovereign in control over all things. That His will cannot be thwarted and will not be stopped. You know, if it's the Lord's will, we live. One of my favorite writers or preacher guys from, from church history is this guy, George Whitfield. He said, you know, we are immortal until our work here on earth is done. We are immortal until the work God has assigned us to do has been accomplished. Because to that point, God calls you home. And of course, based on Paul's thoughts probably in, in, in his letter to the church in Philippi, uh, where Paul even you know, is, is torn between the concept if he wants to leave and go and be with Christ, but he knows it's good for, for the fruitful labor for the, for the churches, that he continues and works. And you know what, I'll continue to do that, you know, basically as long as God's going to let me. But I would rather leave, he says. Paul understood that, you know what, God has me here and he's left me here for the time being to accomplish work. And when that work is done, God will call me home. And understanding that, that look, it's, it's the Lord's will that, that, that allows us to rise each day. But that will come to, come to an end one time. You know, even what we do, he pokes at that, you know, do this, do that, go to this city, go to that city, do this business, have success. Maybe, maybe not. You may do all the right things. You may do everything you think you can possibly do that is the correct thing to do and not have the outcome that you think you should have. Cause and effect is not flawless. The reaping and sowing sometimes is separated by decades. Right? And James didn't understand. You know, James wants us to understand that, that even our actions, we need to understand, look, yeah, we think it's going to produce whatever it's going to produce, but no, 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 only if it's God's will. And again, James has this pervasive picture of God's control and influence and dictating of our life. 
We tend to be way on the other side of the spectrum, guys. Way on the other side of the spectrum. Right? There, there's, you know, Calvinism, which is a, you know, theological position uh, that, that their beliefs are, are, are summarized in TULIP. Right? Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So it spells TULIP, right? They're way on the side of God's sovereignty, right? Unconditional election. That's probably one. Look, there are some Bible verses that push back against that concept, you know, but, but that perspective actually is helpful to yank us more towards that side of the, 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 the line. Because we tend to be way over here on works-based, Man's strength, women's, woman's wisdom, uh, you know, Western get it done with our own, our own two hands. We, we need to probably be pulled a little bit more this direction, guys. This idea of God's complete sovereignty. You know, Ben and I were studying with a young man today, or not today, uh, this week at, uh, at ECU, you know, and he asked about this idea of free will. I mean, if God is sovereign, if he's in control over, over everything, how does that work? How does that work with human choice? You know, and, and, and most people understand, look, that, that you can break down God's will, the Lord's will, uh, into two categories, a will of decree, right? And that's Acts 4 when Peter's telling uh, the Jewish leaders uh, that they, along with Pontius Pilate, uh, crucified Jesus. But you know what? It was God's plan all along, all right? That's will of decree. God, God decrees it. It's going to happen. You, you, you can't change it. You, can't fight, you can try to fight against it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Right? Jesus is within that realm of, of, of God's will of decree. He was always going to come at the time he was going to come, uh, do what he's, he was going to do, uh, die in the way he died, and be resurrected. That's why they're constantly throwing scriptures at us. This is to fulfill. This is to fulfill. This is to fulfill. This, this, this was the, the, the will, uh, the decree of, of God. It was going to be accomplished. It was not going to be stopped. talk about that picture in a second. The other, the other way to look at it, the, the Lord's will is that of the will of command, right? You know, and that's, that's all these passages in, in, in the Bible, like 1 John 2, verse 17, where it talks about the world is passing along, passing away along with its desires. That's a decree. Judgment day has been set. Time is linear. It's not circular. There's a beginning and there's an end, right? Everything will pass away, right? That's a decree. Right? But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right? Now that's God's command. God would like everyone to live forever. God's desire, his heart, is for everyone to find eternal life. And he gives that command of, hey, here's the way that leads to eternal life, and that's through Jesus. But, but a vast majority of people reject that. It's not as if you know, God's will has been thwarted. No, no, God has given us wiggle room. Right? And, and the, the analogy that I like to, 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 to understand this concept is the world, by God's decree, is all in a ship. And that ship is heading down a river, and at the end of that river is a waterfall. Right? Everyone's in the ship. No one in and of themselves can get out or swim against this current. No, th this is set. Now, there is a life raft operated by Jesus, and you have a choice. You can stay in that ship. It's going to end up going over that waterfall, or you can get in the life raft with Jesus. Right? While you're in that ship, you can make all the choices you want. You can think you have control 
And you can think that, that, that your life is stable and, you know, you can ignore the sound of the waterfall that lies ahead and all the things in life that hint to us that we are frail and that we are mortal. And that our time here is, 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 is short. And you can ignore it all and you can act like it's not coming. And you can make all these decisions and choices within that boat thinking you're in control and thinking you have knowledge. But it is inevitable that that ship will go over the waterfall. Right? And to understand those two aspects of, of, of you know, the Lord's will, his, his will of decree and his will of command. You know? and, and, and we need so much more of this perspective, of the, this idea that, that God is in complete control. Because verses like this that we love, in the middle of sections of scripture that we love, because it's a Christian ethic of, of, of suffering, you know what? Even unjust suffering. You know, we, we can have hope that God works for the good of those he loves in all things. That, that, that thought hinges on our understanding of God's providence. It lives or dies by understanding of God's sovereignty. And if we can adopt this perspective that James is trying to get us to adopt, that is what enables us to be trees planted by a stream even when time of famine comes, even when the heat comes, the roots go deep into God because he is in control of all things. And no matter what happens in circumstances, we still bear good fruit because our trust is not in our knowledge. It's not in our control. It's not in us, but it's in God. And that's what can enable us to endure the many challenges that life has, guys. And James is pushing back against this prideful, presumptuous perspective because it is empty. It will not deliver. Because life is full of challenges and hardships. Because we do what's right at times and it, it doesn't play out in our favor. I mean, if you don't realize that, look at Jesus. Did what was right publicly for three years and ended up crucified. We've got to understand that, that, that we're not in control and we don't always know. All right? Close out, would close out. One, one of the great passages that kind of draws these two concepts together is from the Old Testament. Look, look at Psalm 90. We'll read all of that. that that's Moses' prayer, and we'll close with that thought. Because it, it drive, drives together this pride that James is hitting at, and also this idea of providence. Psalm 90. You can turn there. You can just listen. Verse 1, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. For the mountains were born, or you were brought forth, the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sights are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your, er your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath, is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Phenomenal psalm, you know, and it has these two, two verses, you know, embedded within it that, that, that encompass everything that James, I think, is trying to drive into us. Moses pleads with God, hey, God, teach us to number our days. Teach us. Help us to realize we, we, we don't know how long we have. We don't have control over everything. Time is short. Time is short. We're like grass. Grows, withers. Like flowers, planted, bloom, gone. Teach us to number our days. This will give us wisdom. And then he closed out with, with twice repeating this idea of may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This understanding, and elsewhere, elsewhere the, the psalmist also, you know, David also says that unless the Lord builds his house, the laborers labor in vain. This idea of, and, and it's even what James is poking on at the end about the sins of omission, right? Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. This idea that that, that the sovereignty of God shouldn't make us the people that sit back and, okay, God says, don't, don't make any planning. No. No. But it should make us move forward with plans and move forward with actions with this idea that, that you know what, if God is with me and, and, and only then will it be established, only then will it be accomplished. That if I try to build something but I don't build it with God, it's in vain. It's useless. It's not going to last. It won't stand the test of time. But that if we bring God into our lives and we go about life with this eternal perspective and this humble perspective that, that, that reminds us that, you know what, we're dust and we're going to return to dust. But if we walk with our, our, our creator who's eternal and stands outside of time, then it brings an element of eternity into everything we do. That's an incredible picture. You know, a great book by, uh, by uh, Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and all those hairy-footed books, you know, about all those people. You know, but one of his lesser-known books is this, is this book called Leaf by Niggle. Right? Leaf by Niggle. Right? Pick it up and have a read this week. You know, but it's an interesting, you know, take on, you know, in a, in a fictional story of this idea of that, that, you know what, our work here in this life is never done. But if we do it in view of eternity, that, that perhaps in the next life we see the, the, the grand uh, fruition of our work. But only if we operate in the life here and now with this one eye on eternity. And with a heart rooted in, 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 in God rather than self. Amen? Awesome. Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand and sing uh, together. Uh, Father, we, uh, we pray you help us, God. Help us to heed James's warning to, 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 to listen to what he has to say here, you know, about how, how presumptuous we can be in what we say, in our words, and how we can, you know, even operate in life on cruise control, God. Finding, finding our strength, our confidence in ourselves, God, for, forgetting that, that we don't know. We don't know what happens tomorrow. We don't know what happens when we get up and we leave here, God. Our, our lives are truly a mist, God. And we pray that you help us to pray like Moses prayed. 
to, to, to teach us, God, to number our days, to teach us, to, to remind us, God, that, that our time here is, is so short, Father. May that not produce in us laziness or slothfulness, God, but, 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 but a, a confidence, that, that trust in your sovereignty, and to know that, that we have been created uh, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you have prepared in advance for us to do, God, and that we work with you and look to you to establish the work of our hands, God, that we bring an element of eternity forward, God, even into the here and now, God. Help us in these things, God. We, we pray that, that, that throughout the week ahead, God, that we can remind one another, God, and that your spirit can remind us, God, of what we are before you, God. But at the same time, God, help our eyes to lift to you and to see you as, as you know, the Holy One enthroned with all power and all authority and to know that you are with us always till the very end. Okay, we love you. We thank you. That's Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand together and sing glory, glory, hallelujah. <coughs>